Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds on Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. Today's episode is incredibly special. Our first love stories episode, which will come at the end of each month. I will sit down with individuals who've been on a relationship journey and bear witness to their story, asking them questions about what their love has taught them, how they overcame challenges, and what wisdom they'd like to offer to all of us. I've been dreaming about holding space for these kinds of conversations on the podcast, and now I get to share the first one with you, a conversation with Mo Ari and his mother, Sandra Brown. I need to start by giving you a little backstory on my relationship with Mo. Mo and I first met when he was an undergraduate student at Northwestern University, enrolled in my Marriage 101 course. He sat front and center each week in lecture. And the day he told me he was coming to the Family Institute at Northwestern University for graduate school to train as a marriage and family therapist, I threw my arms around him. I was so excited. So the following year, Mo became my graduate assistant as I was conceiving the Loving Bravely book, and I savored his enthusiasm and insight. And then later, in what Oprah would call a full circle moment, Mo went on to work as a teaching assistant for the very same Marriage 101 course, and we have kept in touch since he graduated, and I cherish our relationship. So Mo is a therapist, a mindset coach, and a soul guide. His message is radical authenticity and unconditional self-love. Originally assigned female at birth, he has used his own journey as a transgender person to help many other people discover their authentic voice and navigate the difficult journey of alignment. While he's an expert on choosing authenticity over belonging, the personal work does not evade him, and his relationship with his mother, Sandra Brown, has been one of his greatest lessons in unconditional love. So Sandra has been a reverend for 20 years and a registered nurse for 36 years. She's a mother and a grandmother, and as you will hear, 
She is someone who has met the challenges in her life with incredible resilience and grace. Mo and Sandra navigated grief and loss as they both moved through Mo's gender transition. They joined one another in difficult conversations about identity, and ultimately Sandra modeled what it can look like when parents allow their children to be everything they are destined to become, even when that differs from what they had originally imagined. This is truly a conversation about reimagining love, and I am grateful that Mo and Sandra chose to share their story publicly together for the first time here on our show. And as affirming and supportive as I hope this will be for parents of a child who's going through a gender transition, this conversation also contains universal reminders about love, evolution, and resilience that we can all sit with and cherish. So thank you for being here with me to witness Mo and Sandra's story. Mo and Sandra, I am so happy that you both are here, that you have trusted me with your stories and you're making the space with me to share who you are. So thank you so much, first of all, for being here. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you for having us on. I want to start by just inviting you, Sandra, to give us a sense of who you are. You are Mo's mom, but you are more than that. So I would love for you to just take a bit of time and give us a sense of who you are, where you came from. Then we'll weave Mo into the equation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I want to share that uh, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I was raised with nine siblings, which was uh, very traumatic. Mm. Uh, we had a family situation where we weren't impoverished, but we felt like we were. Mm. We were in a household where my mother married someone that would spend money everywhere else but the family. Mm. And so we uh, grew up in a household that was very violent. Uh, there was abuse consistently on my stepfather, uh, with my mother. And this was a very traumatic childhood. Mm -hmm. you know, life for me wasn't a crystal staircase mm -hmm. like some people may have. I've overcome many hurdles in life, and I'm thankful. I know that your trials come to make you stronger. So I'm thankful that even in the midst of that, I had a wonderful grandmother that oh. uh, was always encouraging. Whenever we went to visit her, she said, stay with the Lord. He'll take care of you. And that's what I did. I just kept my eyes on that. I kept my eyes on being educated mm -hmm. because I knew that that was the way to change my life and make it better. My brother and I were the only two out of nine siblings that were able to graduate from college. Wow. And I went on to see, receive my master's degree in theology. Uh, I am an ordained minister now, and I'm also a registered nurse for over 36 years. I do know that everything impacts you as far as who you are and who you're created to be. I also grew up in a household that was very homophobic. Mm -hmm didn't realize the extent that it impacted me until later on in life. Mm -hmm. um, I had to overcome those hurdles, overcome that as well, because once I embraced the ministry, I knew that wasn't something that I could continue on. 
I knew I had to change. And the Lord spoke to me, and and I became to embody what love is all about. Mm-hmm. Because love doesn't judge. It's not judgmental. It does not discriminate. It does not look at you and say this just because. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do that. So I'm so thankful that throughout my walk, I have been blessed, even though childhood was traumatic. And because my childhood was traumatic, it spearheaded me, though, into a relationship as uh, my first marriage was very turbulent as well. Uh, My first marriage, I was married to someone that was very verbal and physically abusive. Mm. And I didn't see the connection until later that this is what I was used to seeing as a child, and so this is what seemed to be okay at first, but it was not okay. And I found a way to be delivered from that situation, and I thank God for that because I did not tell him my plan. I set up a plan to get out of that abusive relationship, and within a year I was able to get out And I thank God for that. And I got her out with my life. And I'm so grateful for that. I am thankful because for uh, just amazing that a year after the divorce, I was able to meet a wonderful man. And only by a blind date. <laughs> my landlord was sick of me uh, being in my apartment by myself. Uh-huh. And she said, look, you need to be with someone. You don't need to be up there with two children. I had two children by that time, right. by my ex. And she said, you're so nice and you need to meet someone that's going to you be able to develop your life with. Mm-hmm. And I was not interested at first, but she went on. And she gave him my number. (laughs) And she gave him my number, and he called. And we talked on the phone three hours. And we knew that there was connection there. And the rest is history because four years later, we walked down the aisle in 1990. We walked down the aisle and were married. And it took that amount of time because any time you're in a turbulent situation and you've mm-hmm. been in situations that are full of turmoil, you don't want to eagerly get back into that. So I had to make sure that's right that he that's was right. the right person. And so I'm so excited. Mo's father has been a blessing. And he had two children from a prior relationship, which also was a uh, Mm, was not a good situation, uh-huh. and he divorced her. And after his divorce, he was able to meet me. He had two, I had two, and we got together. And, <laughs> <laughs> and a year later, after the marriage, Mo and Melissa were there. And it was just amazing. So I went from a family of three to a family of eight within a year. So yeah. that was a lot. So I'm here today because I'm just so thankful and proud of Mo mm-hmm. and all that Mo has endured through. And it means a lot. It mm-hmm. means a lot. Ministry in itself now for me is a blessing. Helps me to really show the love that God says mm-hmm. uh, because God is love. And so and being a registered nurse for over 36 years has helped me 
to be more empathetic to the concerns of all people. Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. I thank God because God was preparing me from the very beginning mm-hmm. through all these situations, through the trials, through all the hardship, through everything that I endured through, preparing me and preparing my family for everything that we were going to encounter because we have to be the ones to embody love and show that to people wherever we go. That is the call on each of our lives, and I just thank it. I am so thankful. Sandra, I hear so much resilience in your story, and I hear the profound role of education. You are really clear that education was vital in your journey and helping you take steps from where you came from, a traumatic, chaotic childhood, to be able to create a profession for yourself. And I hear the really important role of faith as well. Yes. And that that's. But, Mo, I mean, it doesn't matter what I hear. I'm really curious what you hear. Like, what's it like for you to hear your mom talk about her story in this way? I think I always just get emotional listening. I wish people could see my tears right now. They're, like, forming. Yeah, I just get emotional thinking about all the things that she had to overcome. All of dreams that she had to sacrifice. And feel now that I have my own kid the realization of a lot of her dreams through children and I have gotten to do all of the things she wanted to do in this lifetime but she's seeing us do more than she had herself and say that in those words but I feel that when I'm with her just her being here and how she's accepting me on my journey I think that that really was an act of love for me but also love for herself that she has this kid that is like wanting her to be in his life mm-hmm. and wanting her to get to know me as I grow. Um, she received me with open arms, reject the love that I was offering her. Because I think that that's a part of the work is remaining open to receiving love. Uh, It wasn't so much just about her being able to give love to me or see me, but that she was able to receive it from me. Because I imagine there are so many people in my situation who really, really, really want to give as much love as possible to their family members. But those family members might not be open. And I think that that has been a huge lesson for me. So I get really emotional thinking about it. You can hear it in my voice. (laughs) (laughs) Mo, you're pointing us right off the bat to something that's so subtle and so important. I think when we're talking about a family's journey with a trans child who's going through transition, we focus a lot on whether and when and how the parents are able to offer support. Yeah. And you're inviting us to kind of like bend a bit and also to just like what I hear you saying to parents, (laughs) now I'm going to get emotional, is that what is that? If and when and as you open to your child and you stay with your child and do the work that is required that I want to hear more about, about how a parent kind of reorganizes their own interior as their child is moving through this, that what you get is the opportunity to receive love from a child who has been taken more deeply into themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can appreciate my mom so much more now as an adult, as Mo, as like all of the things that I'm um, authentically than when I was like 
to be something I wasn't or trying to suppress these parts of myself. I kind of rejected my mom in parts of my journey. Like, I was like, she's not going to see me, so I just would not show up. (laughs) But then I realized at a point, it's like, actually, you have power to change the relationship by showing up as yourself. And not one time when I showed up authentically and said, mom, like, this hurts me, or mom, I really want love in this way, did she say, no, you can't have that. So it was reckoning when I realized because I have those conversations as long as I show up authentically I offer love I guess is Mm -hmm. what I'm really saying she'll receive it rather than offering fear questions Mm -hmm. absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah if I showed up with all of my insecurities every single time which I had plenty of moments like I remember being my nose pierced this is how I am going to be queer this week. I'm going to get my nose pierced. And my mom was like, no, like she was not having it. And at the time, and really with her or present to her story, which was that you're a black kid on the south side of Chicago. People are going to stereotype you in a particular way. She was worried about like jobs, not wanting to receive me already. So many things stacked against me. But all I heard was this rejection of me. I remember being so upset car with her I got out the car I was like I am walking from here I am not like I just felt so rejected but it was really my own insecurity like I didn't show up and have the conversation with her like hey actually to me this nose ring is a sign that of my individuality and my authenticity Mm -hmm. we didn't have a conversation like that Mm -hmm. uh had we had that conversation I imagine her response would have been different she'd have been like I see what you're saying and also get rejected from jobs uh so we weren't able to have that then but I have plenty of other conversations that were open later. I mean, parents have fear, right? You, I mean, you, as a mama bear, like you want to protect your, that's your guiding star. And in doing so, right, and like in that protection sometimes in that moment around the nose ring kind of blocked you from being able to kind of listen more carefully to what Mo was saying in the context because you were, and you didn't pull those fears out of nowhere. You did not pull racism out of nowhere. You did not pull, you know, that is not things that you were creating from some imagined sense of what's going to make Mo more or less safe in this world. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do you remember that story of being in the car with Mo? I, and I remember Mo's that, and I remember really being adamant about it because I really uh, was familiar with all the stereotypes and all of that. Yeah. And, uh, for a child in the African-American community, nose rings and have tattoos up to their neck and all of that would be ostracized, and how would they be cast aside, and how people would look at them different where they would not receive them right. as this beautiful child this beautiful young lady or this beautiful young man or they are because a lot of times we put people in boxes you know if you present a certain way we box you in Mm -hmm. and society has a way of doing that all the time I did have that just as uh, the fear then of not wanting that formal it was really just a protection because one of the things that I learned from childhood and it's probably coming a lot from being raised Protecting children, protecting people, so important. I didn't feel protected as a child. I I did not. God is the only one that protected me. Family did not protect me. People around me did not protect me. So I felt this protective mode to really help so they would not have to experience certain things in this life. But I do realize now 
that we do have to go through our own experiences. A nose ring is not even that big of a deal when it comes to the scheme of things and what could have been going on. Even now, with Mo being transgender, I never had a fear about Mo being transgender. It was mainly about how people would respond. How Mo would go into a bathroom and have to be, could be attacked, could be hurt because of being authentic, being the person that Mo needs to be. You know, a lot of times people will catch you and hurt you and put you down and everything just because they look at you a certain way and their own perception is what's the problem. That's right. The person is not the problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I just really wanted to be mindful, Mo to be mindful of those things that the way society is, Mm -hmm. it's a reality, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And as a parent, you can't help but be protective. As a parent, you can't help but being protective. And what I'm hearing you say also is there was something that was uniquely yours as you went into parenthood, which is you are a survivor of trauma and you know down to your bones like you know little Sandra Mm -hmm. had the experience of not being protected not being safe and so when you became a mother you were like never again my babies will not experience what I experienced Mm -hmm. did you know and you've known you've Mm -hmm. known that Mm -hmm. yeah I think that that created a lot of perspective for me I think I've been I have the added benefit of being a family therapist. So I think, uh, and my mom has let me write papers about her and her story for your class and other classes. So I've had a little bit of perspective, I think, along the way that really helped me to be able to listen to my mom. And it's actually a lot of the work that I end up doing with clients who are LGBTQIA plus or transgender and they're having difficulty with their parents. I end up having a lot of conversations with them. Like, do you know your parents' story? Like we start there and most people do not. They do not know what their parents were like before them. And it's like, we have to go all the way back so that you can understand your parent as a a woman, your parent as a Mm -hmm. a father, you know, I mean, as a a man before father. And so I think with my mom, that helped me a lot to hold perspective for her. Doesn't mean that it wasn't always challenging, but it has allowed me to do a lot of work. I've lived with my parents as an adult, like we've done some work. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it's only through that lens of, like, my mother's story did not begin the day I was born. Right. My mother came into her relationship with me, with her own story. Yeah. That, that that lens invites the possibility that maybe everything she does and says isn't a rejection of me, isn't the capital yeah. T truth about who yeah. I am. It's informed by stuff, right? It can, it can help then the younger person maybe hold a little space that this is maybe a bit less than totally personal because especially there's, I can't think of anything more vulnerable than going through a gender transformation. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there are ways in which a gender transition mirrors a lot of other kinds of transitions and transformations that we all make in our lives. But, but this one is profound. I can imagine. And I want you to talk with us about like the amount of vulnerability and sensitivity and how you're watching the reactions of people around you. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, if you didn't have that ability to say my mom's reaction to me is informed by more than just 
me. Yeah. It's informed by a whole bunch of stuff that came yeah. long before me. Yeah. It would have been even harder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I think with my mom, I was able to hold also perspective for who I knew her to be, even outside of just conversations around gender, sexual orientation. So holding that my mom is the kind of person that legitimately stops for every person asking money and gives them whatever she has. Or sometimes I would come home in elementary school and there would be other kids sitting at our dinner table. And I'm like, who are these kids? And it's literally someone trusted her with their children because they were so stressed out. They met her that day. And they were like, I know they're going to be taken care of. So I grew up knowing that this woman, this my mom, is like a real uh, lover. Like, I got that from Mm -hmm. her. So Mm -hmm. at her core, I've accepted that this is who she is. She gets to have her own challenges and her own struggles. But in our relationship, I was able to hold that perspective of who she is. And also, I think when you're talking about the larger world, That's a hard one because most of what my mom was worried about, some of that stuff did happen. Like I've Mm -hmm. gone into bathrooms and like been pulled out by my collar because people felt like I was in the wrong place. Right. Um, And I'm like, it's a shocking sometimes, like because it doesn't matter where you went to school. It doesn't matter all the time. Now that I'm like got a private practice and I'm doing my thing, people are still perceiving me as a threat, as like a challenge to order and decency. And so I'm not immune from those experiences. So I also have been able to hold my mom's perspective a lot because it's like some of that stuff that you were worried about is like actually the thing. And I didn't tell her about these things until a long time after they happened because I knew she'd be worried. But moving to Georgia has been its own thing in itself. Mm -hmm. I moved from liberal Chicago to Georgia and, uh, that was a thing. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the first week I was there, someone it was in Trader Joe's and was like, this is at the height of the pandemic, too. It's just starting. And uh, someone's at Trader Joe's and they're like, back all the way up. Not please. Aww. Not. And we're six feet apart, but they felt like I needed to be further. And there was a lot of suspicion about who was spreading this virus and all right. this other stuff. And so I experienced that, but I've also experienced again at a grocery store, someone jumping up and down at me because I was like taking up space that they wanted, right? So I've had a lot of interesting experiences being gender queer in that space. And and funny enough, so we start the pandemic in March 2020. March 2021, I look very different. Right. And most of the time people are assuming I'm assigned male at birth mm-hmm. and all of that stuff has subsided. Now, I still get the experiences of being a black masculine person in society, but all of the other stuff regarded to gender, I'm not experiencing. So I've returned to some type of a normal. Like, I know how to be black in America. I did not know how to be black and gender queer. And so I think my mom was trying to protect me. And so I was able to hold how awful I ex- experienced some people in the world with how my mom was also trying to protect me. And I was like, this is love. That is yeah. not over there. Yeah. Mom yeah. is love. This <laughs> other experience, <laughs> not so not much. Love. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. And it's such a reminder of how stuck we are in these binaries. Right? Yeah. That we, it's what you were yes. saying before, Sandra, about the boxes. Yes. We put people in boxes and we want to put people in boxes. Yeah. And what you're saying is that when you had left the shore, you left the world of presenting in a feminine way. Yeah. And you existed in a middle space, mm-hmm. a sort of liminal space. Oh, my God. It was too nebulous for people. And people didn't know how to deal with it. Yeah. 
Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you, Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Kraftchik and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor to their insightful explorations of all things dating, turning matches into actual dates, the psychology of relationships, red flags, attachment styles, and so much more. I am proud to have been a guest on their podcast three times. So if you're looking for a great starting point, check out my latest episode with them when you're ready and they're not. I'll put a link at the bottom of the show notes. Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. It's so painful because when the world was giving you that feedback of we don't know what to do with you, mm-hmm. you were also, I could imagine, in your most vulnerable time because you Absolutely. were trying to figure out what to do with you and how Absolutely. to. Oh. It's uh, constantly being misgendered. So like being like, I had changed my name a long time ago, even prior to taking hormones. I was like, I know I'm changing my name. But I still was getting constantly people going, is most short for something? Like, especially in that nebulous space. Now no one acts. They, like, get it mm-hmm. immediately. There's, like, a Mo's cantina. There's, like, Mo's <laughs> auto body shot. Why is Mo so hard to understand? Yeah, so that's why I think I added Mo Ari to it. Like, let's just do a whole name so people could stop asking, is this short for something? And every now and again, I'll still get that. But there's, uh, in that nebulous space, that was even interesting. I don't know that I answered your question. (laughs) No, you did. You did. But I also, Mo, I would love for you to back up a bit and just share, like, whatever, I mean, it's so complicated, right? Because there's so many layers to your journey. But I would love, you know, when you and I met, you were front row of my Marriage 101 (laughs) class, front and center every week. And will you share a bit about your journey, kind of where you were and, and where you are now? Starting at Marriage 101. Well, starting wherever you want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could start, as I've heard you start before, as the little black girl on the south yeah. side of Chicago, who is also a twin. Mm-hmm. I think that that's an important yes. part of the beginning part of the story is being assigned female at birth, having an identical twin that was like so much a part of my identity. And I think even now, like sometimes my mom will be present somewhere and someone will be trying to call to memory who she is and they'll say, oh, the twins mother. So that was like so deeply inherent in everybody in our family's identities that we were identical twins. So like everybody was related to that identical twin identity. So when I was thinking about transitioning, that was definitely something that was on my mind pretty constantly. So I think the story does start there. Mm-hmm. Uh, how you've heard a little bit about how my mom worked really hard, my dad too, to try to give us something different, to give us culture, to try to give us education, to say, you are going to be somebody, you are somebody, as much as they could put into us or instill that our hard work still matters. It's not just like a bootstrap theory. Like you'll get there by just doing the hard work and putting your head down. It was more so like you'll do the hard work, but you also have to remember to dream, to have faith in your your abilities, to to stay focused, not to give up. Mm-hmm. So I brought all of that with me, I think, to Northwestern. By the time you met me, mm-hmm. I was just really trying to make everybody proud 
Um, and I had figured out how to do that as Monique. I really had figured out how <laughs> to make people proud, how to look good doing it. Mm-hmm. I look back on pictures of uh, <laughs> myself back then like, you were really... Yes. Um, so I have a lot of fondness for for Monique for how determined she was to make everybody proud. But I think inherent in that was a lot of people pleasing, a mm-hmm. lot of putting myself in boxes, really wanting to stay in the line. I don't think I took a lot of risks. I was like, OK, this is this is your path. I was still creative, but not in the same ways that I'm creative now. I really felt like I set out a path and I was like, you're going to do that thing. I wasn't really ever accepting anything outside of that. So when I saw people on Instagram transitioning and I was like, there's a name for what I've been feeling my entire life. I remember experiences when I was younger where I was really crying in the car. We do a lot of stuff in the car, a lot of processing apparently. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was telling my mom, I do not want bras. I do not want breasts. Like, I was really upset. And I think she understood my discomfort in my body, but I don't think she had language. And so at the time, she was like, it'll get better as you get older. And that's really as far as she probably knew how to share. Like, But she sat with that, at least, and gave Mm -hmm. some empathy. So thinking about it now or thinking about it as I realized there's a name for people with my experience of like being different and it's transgender, seeing people's stories on social media and things that kind of revolutionized how I was thinking about myself. And I was like, uh, I cut my hair, I think, pretty quickly after that. I was like, oh, we're going to do this thing different. For a while, I had been like wearing ties or experimenting with like how I was dressing. And I didn't know to the extent that I would be me now. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But I knew that every change that I made felt good. And so I knew I was going in the right direction. And it was kind of like following my light or following what lights me up, I guess. And that's, I think, what helped me to get to me. Uh-huh. What do you want to say? What's it like to hear Mo talk well, about that following the light? Yes, because I, I remember when Mo was uh, first transitioning. And Mo and I were in the living room, and we were sitting and discussing Mo's transition. And Mo was so excited about transitioning. I wrote a whole letter. I especially remember talking to Mo. We were talking about growing a beard, mm-hmm. taking the hormone shots because I'm a nurse and I knew, yep. you know, the side effects, all of that. We were talking about all of that. But the part when I got to the beard, really, that really was the breaker from icebreaker for me. Okay. When I said, what about this beard? You're going to have hair all over your face. Mo lit up like a Christmas tree. As this was fireworks, everything was going off, lit up and said, yes, yes, that's it. That would be great. And I was like, this is real. This is who Mo is. If Mo is this so much excited about it, then it is truly real. So I had to come to grips with that. We hugged (laughs) and we just were, ah, truth was knocking at the door. (laughs) And I had to receive it at that moment. I knew it was genuine and I knew that 
this was a moment that changed everything. Um, I saw Mo as Mo <laughs> and complete and wanting to walk in truth. Mm-hmm. And I embraced that at that very moment because God had revealed that to me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a passing phase. You know, some people think that mm-hmm. with their children, just something they're going through, they'll get over it. That's what people think. But when you really know the person and you see the heart of the person, the love and the excitement and the joy coming from this place, and I saw that yep. that day, and it was overwhelming, and I just embraced it, and my husband and I, <laughs> and I'm thankful that mm-hmm. we did. Thankful mm-hmm. that we did. Mm-hmm. That was so beautiful. <laughs> but it was true. Yeah. Yes. Can can we stay there a bit mm-hmm. longer, Mo? Because, you know, as what you all can't see that I get the tremendous privilege of seeing is that as Sandra is explaining what it was like to watch her child light up like a Christmas tree. Yeah. Mo has his eyes closed and the tears are streaming. And I, um, Mo, I want to know, I would love to hear what it's like for you to hear your mom Tell that story of that of that moment, of that day, of that turning. What what really was for you, Sandra, a turning point? Yeah, I feel like really seen. I think that that's the best way to describe it. I feel very visible. And I think I don't want to intellectualize it. I just feel like so visible. The end of grad school for me, so like 2015 to I would say 2020 was a long stretch of time where I was like, not feeling it like I was depressed I was like very functional and like still showing up but I was really really struggling uh, emotionally so just thinking about this moment where I'm like coming out as transgender or just like declaring this is who I am I also was like and I'm getting top surgery in two weeks that was the whole thing Uh (laughs) yes Uh Uh Um, it's happening it's happening Uh I just remember how liberating that felt, how good it felt to be received. And to this day, like my story about like my parents' reception of my identity or like just that conversation, I feel like it went well. So my experience of that conversation was that it actually went great. That doesn't mean we didn't have challenges along the way uh, of my transition actually taking place. But that moment just felt very, very Great for a number of reasons. I remember also in this moment, my mom asking me or asking Tiffany, my wife, like if she was going to stay with me. And I remember in the moment being so mad about that. But it didn't take away from how I thought the conversation went. I was like, but why are you asking Tiffany this? Mm-hmm. And I think it goes back to that protection piece. So I think I've integrated that into my story. So just to hear your perspective of seeing me light up. It's like that's legitimately how I've been living to get to this place. I've been following that feeling mm-hmm. of like feeling lit up. If it feels like that to me, I'm like, this is you. This is authentic to you. I didn't know any other way to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And so it's just so good to say that she can see that from the outside because that's legitimately how I feel on the inside. And so it just means so much to me. Mm -hmm. 
Well, yeah, right before Sandra told that story, you were talking, Mo, about how, and you know, this is language I've heard you use before, like your devotion to the small. Yeah. You have thought, you know, your, what I heard you saying was your process has been a devotion to the small. Yeah. Try on a tie. How does the tie feel? Yeah. How does this feel? Right. Sort of like taking these little steps along the way and following your light. Yeah. And that that has been your like kind of process of how you've been stepping is following your light. What yeah. lights me up? What what feels like light. And then in Sandra's story, like that's when it really came together was watching Mo's light, seeing Mo's light. So it's just, that was when your love was clearly and obviously bigger and stronger than your fear. Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And some of your fear, do you remember that part, Sandra? Some of your fear was the fear about Tiffany. What would happen to Tiffany? uh, I didn't want Mo to be abandoned. Tiffany was aware of Mo in the prior state, but this yeah. was going to be new. This was going right. to be different. So I wanted to make sure that Tiffany was able to receive Mo as transgender mm-hmm. and that the love would still be there. And the response was just so profound that Tiffany gave <laughs> uh, that I was so thankful for the response Because Mm -hmm. Tiffany said, I love Mo, Mm -hmm. the person, the spirit, Mm -hmm. everything about Mo. So this transition wasn't going to change who Mo is. Mm -hmm. The love is still there. So I was just so happy to see and hear that because from a parent's view, um, I knew that Mo needed that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The word that's coming to mind is unconditional love. Yes. And I felt that, I have felt that from my parents. I also feel that from Tiffany a lot. Like, uh, I have this poem, and one of the lines in the poem, it's actually a poem that I wrote about Tiffany before I met Tiffany, but I could feel that she was close. We had this whole <laughs> deep connection. But the line from the poem says, You could come back into the next lifetime as a frog. And I kiss every single one until I found you. But I just really feel that they would accept me if I was a frog and they'd be looking for me. Uh, I really feel like, uh, not to say that frogs are less than, we're all (laughs) one. That's right. (laughs) But like, I just feel so much that. At this point, because we've been through so many evolutions of self, and my mom has even evolved, and I've been able to love her and all of her evolution, I really feel unconditional love from them. And that feels like a rare gift. I know how many people are asking for that, inviting that into their lives, manifesting that, praying for that right now. Mm -hmm. And I do feel very, very humbled, not always feeling worthy. And that's another part of this work that I'm doing next is on feeling worthy to receive that from people because I know so many people and I sit with people every day who don't have that at home. Mm -hmm. And so often I felt survivor's guilt in a way. Uh, like I have this honor that I get to sit with other trans people to write them letters for top surgery to lead groups. And so many of them are sharing stories of real abandonment, right. like no longer having their parents, no longer having their relationships. And I have all of that in this beautiful soul named Nova who calls me daddy and is like 
that just feels like abundance, but it feels like unconditional love. And I just feel sometimes not worthy, but I'm working on the worthiness piece because I have to be able to receive in order to give it. That's right. Right. Survivors, I I can so understand how survivor guilt would creep in, right? That you Mm -hmm. are aware of the measure of privilege that comes from having been supported by having this like in your bones experience of unconditional Mm -hmm. love and how painful it is to sit with people who don't have that. And that everything you do models and plants the seed of possibility that this this is available. Unconditional love is available. Transformation of relationship is available. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to add to a part of that survivor's guilt. I don't know if you know more of like our story, our family makeup, but I have a brother who's gay. I think he would identify himself as gay. And he has a partner. They have a son and he's 14 years older than me. He calls himself my other dad. Like he's that much older (laughs) than me. So he he feels like very protective, too. But his journey with my mom was also different. So there's a little bit of like I came in on the tail end, the youngest child benefiting from the work that they had to do. And uh, and I don't know if we're going into that narrative, but I do want to share that my mom has really done a great deal of work to mm-hmm. get to this place. And I just wanted to highlight that, too, uh, mm-hmm. that I benefit from the work that they've also been doing in our family for a long time. I think anybody listening, I'd want them to know that it has not been like a automatic thing. This was also iterations and evolutions within my mom if she wants to talk about that. My son coming out probably about 10 years prior to you. Yeah. Really, um, that was not a good situation. Mm -hmm. I did not address it in love. Mm -hmm. I did not know to do that. Remember I told you at the time it was like, you know, the way I was raised was not good. So I really didn't know how to address it. I took it very hard, and I really was like, dogmatic about, Mm -hmm. you're not going to be this, Mm -hmm. you know. And today, I regret that. When you know better, you do better. Mm -hmm. What I see to this day, it actually helped me. Our relationship is very sound at this point. We're very Uh, tight. We got past that hurdle. You did. uh, Because love trumps everything. Mm -hmm. Love is the key to that unconditional love regardless I had to do some soul searching, what God was saying to me in this situation, because you say love your neighbor as yourself. You don't judge. You can't be judgmental. Love does not tear down. It builds up. Yeah. It does not hurt. It does not cause pain. Yeah. Love doesn't do that. And when you soul search and see the difference between the type of love that you grew up under is not the type of love that you need to express today. Mm-hmm. That unconditional love that God calls us all to makes all the difference in how we're going to react. Mm-hmm. So for most transition, it was better for me. Uh, it was actually a better transition for me to I could embrace it even more. Because a lot of times we look at this picture, we have this picture of who our children should be. Mm-hmm. We have this picture. If you go outside of that, you're not a part. I'm casting you to the side. I'm ostracizing you. I'm disinheriting you. Mm -hmm. This happens over and over again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But love never does that. 
if you truly love and say that you love someone, it's rather relationship, any type of relationship. It's not just with your child, but if you truly love, it doesn't look at those things. Mm -hmm. It's not gender bias. Mm -hmm. It's not race bias. It doesn't depend on your sexual orientation. You're able to not judge a person based upon that by your own standard of thinking, your own way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like you said, you inherited a whole set of beliefs through faith, through culture, through family. And some of that was homophobic. I mean, my gosh, I think we all grow up absorbing infinite homophobic messages, right? So that's not that. And you had to, in figuring out how to go through that journey with your son, you had to dismantle a bunch of stuff that you had been taught as like capital T truth. This is the way to be. That's not the way to be. This is the way to be in favor. This is the way to be out of favor. So you were showing him what you knew, and you had to really dismantle that. Yes, I had to dismantle the idea of what family looks like. Mm -hmm. I had to dismantle uh, what perception of children should be. I had to dismantle not coming in with a concept of who that person is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. False concepts a lot of times. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Right. Concepts that you were not promised or entitled to necessarily, but that we all, I mean, everybody goes into parenthood with these visions of how they want their kid to be. I think that part, I think we ought we need to offer ourselves grace around the idea that we, we do, we imagine and we fantasize and we project, but it is, there's a reckoning we have to go through as parents because that's... One of the things I told Mo was about the journey. Everyone has a journey. I'm going to either walk beside you on this journey or I'm not going to walk with you. I'd rather walk beside my child on this journey. Mm-hmm. But I have to come to the understanding that person's journey is not mine. What God is doing, what they're developing in yeah. this person through their journey, it all works for the good. I can't tell you who you can love along your journey. I can't tell you what you should look like along your journey. I can't tell you what hurdles you're going to have to overcome along this journey. Mm -hmm. It's not for me to determine that. And what we do as people, we tend to try to tell people how to lead their journey. Right, 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 right. Rather than just walking along beside. Come on now. Walking along beside. Uh Can we talk a bit about grief? Oh, my. You had named, you know, the little girl that she used to be. And I think grief is complicated around this. But I would love for us to try to put some language and understanding around how each of you may have grieved, what the role of the grief is, what to do with the grief. The first thing that comes to me is that I'm not even able to answer the question because I can't get past this feeling that Monique comes from a legacy of maternal figures that were survivors. And so I feel that always in her story, and I know Monique is also me, but when I talk about Monique, it feels so long ago, but I just feel so much of that survivor, that resilience, the things that she was carrying. So the grief for me 
has been letting go of all of that. I don't always have to start my story as a little black girl on the south side of Chicago, but I still do that. (laughs) And I think that that is a part of my grief. I think that was so much of my foundation. I almost didn't know who I was if I had to let go of this part of my identity, if I let go of my relationship with my mom in that way. Who am I? If you don't have your relationship with your mom as solid, like we have a solid connection, but just knowing who I am to her, that changed some things. And I give this example a lot for transgender people. Well, for everybody, everybody in this world, we're often in relationship to other people in those relationships. They create our identities. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, I was born her daughter. Yep. Uh, I was assigned her daughter at birth. <laughs> I I am your student of love. I am Nova's dad. I am Tiffany's partner, and and I was Melissa's identical twin, right? And then transitioning, I lost all of those ways of describing who I am, and it almost felt like a loss of connection mm-hmm. as well. So if I'm not her daughter, who am I? And I think being in that ambiguous space was the most grief for me because it didn't feel quite like I was hearing son. I was hearing child, which is a little different. Sure. Now they're like, son this, son that. I don't think I've said how much that means to me, but it feels like I have a home. It feels like I have a home in that relationship, like a way of connecting. And so I think for most of my relationships, they went from connected in this way to not having a connection because there was no title. There was almost like no relationship conversation, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, The ways that we define relationship by giving it a title or a name, I didn't have. And even with myself, I was just in this really nebulous place. And then so Nova comes along and she's the first person that gives me a title. Like, I think she's the first person that's like, dad, dad, very, very early. Like, she's been communicating. (laughs) And... That really changed my experience of myself. I think that's when I started really settling into my identity and who I am because I was like, oh, this feels like home. This feels grounding. This feels like connection. And I think I've been in the process of rebuilding all of my other connections. And they're my parents when I'm pointing. Nobody can see me pointing. (laughs) Uh, They're always like son now. And I think Uh, that that has felt like a homecoming. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I think this gets to the question around grief for me because so much of the loss for me was in losing my connection to people via identity. Right, right, right. What you're saying about your first understanding of yourself was that you were tied to all of these women who survived. Yeah. And you still are tied to the survivor, right? Yeah. Monique led you to yeah. Mo. Yeah. And, and the grief of leaving that is soothed by the way in which you are now in relationships where we are the relationality, right? Yeah. When baby Nova calls you yeah. Dada, yeah. when Sandra calls you my son, yeah. it's like that anchors you again of being truly, truly seen yeah. and connected. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And a part of that lineage again, like a part of that line of family, that the survivors, the people who have overcome, the people who migrated from Georgia, where I now live, to Chicago. That's like our origin story. I don't think I knew that when I went to Georgia, but I found it out later. Like my great grandmother is from the same part of Georgia that I live in now. So that circle feels so complete for me. And I feel like I am home in myself. I'm finding that again uh, and certainly in relationship. But I had to also be open to accepting Mo and embracing Mo. And that was a process. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. that's what grief is for me. I think it's totally different from my mom. It was very hard for me as far as the grief part. Yeah. Basically because I prayed for girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I prayed for a little girl, actually. I prayed for a little girl and I got twins. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> an effective prayer. <laughs> um, to the point, I pray for little girls with long hair, brown skin, and I got everything that I wanted. So when Mo transitioned, and it was difficult to let go of that little girl. I know Mo's twin also had a problem, even though she embraces Mo as brother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But she had to go through a process. But she had Melissa to go through had a, had process through a process. process as well. Yeah. It's all a process. When you see that the person is who they are mm-hmm. and they are authentic to who they are called to be, it's okay. It's okay to grieve for a moment. Uh-huh. I, w- I want to say that. It's okay to grieve for a moment. And it helps you get through everything because it will help you to understand. It will help you to be able to be more patient. It will help you to be able to be to be able to have those conversations that you need to have. Because if you don't and you just hold it and you don't acknowledge that you're actually grieving. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It could be explosive and it could be a problem. That's right. That's right. So I'm thankful for the process that I had to go through. I'm thankful that I've learned through the process. And I'm thankful that even though our relationship is still strong and our relationship is still good, being Mo, the son now, Mm -hmm. instead of that little girl or that daughter, Mm -hmm. it's all right. (laughs) And we have to know that it's all right. Because, again, who am I? Who am I not to show the love to my child? Yep. Yeah. Bottom line. You're really helping me because I think when I initially answered that question, I was really tapped into where I am now in terms of being very, like, proud of Monique and really, like, honoring my journey as Monique. But there was a time where I wasn't that happy about that. I was very much angry and probably rejecting this aspect of my life in order to prove that I was transgender. Like, I think I felt initially I had to be like, that was never okay to me uh, and go to the other extreme. I think I'm so happy. I also got to a place where I'm able to say, you know what? Actually, I was doing the thing back then. My mini skirts were so cute. And my (laughs) 23rd year of life was like my favorite year. And I was super sexy and I was out here living my best life. That can also be a part of my story and I don't have to do away with those narratives where I had joy, where I had happiness as a child, where I also had fun and creativity. It wasn't just a struggle. Most Monique's journey wasn't just that she was a survivor. She was also a really charismatic and charming uh, person and I am so introverted uh, <laughs> as Mo Ari. Uh, but I think... <laughs> You just helped me tap into that feeling of like, I 
I went through a journey of rejecting Monique. Yeah. And I had to also accept her into my narrative in good time because I have a little baby that reminds me a lot of myself when I was younger. And I don't think that I would have been able to embrace her with the ways that she reminds me of me. Again, there's this full circle thing happening around unconditional love. That has really brought me to myself. I'm really grateful to still be a part of that lineage and to have, well, Nova was here earlier, but three generations of us healing a lot of generational things that have happened around authenticity or have stifled our voice. Trauma kind of does that. It can make you go, let's toll this line so the pain never happens again. And I had been through enough where I was trying to do that by rejecting Monique. And I did along the way find my ability to integrate her story into my story. And that was a lot of my grief as well because Bo was at one point saying uh, Monique didn't exist. Mm -hmm. It's as if Monique didn't exist at all. Mm -hmm. And Monique did exist. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time that Mo has acknowledged that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. In front of me, uh-huh. yeah, uh-huh. that Monique did exist. So just to hear that, and that that was a struggle at that time, and that's why I was so adamant about it, mm-hmm. because, because it felt- we couldn't even say Monique, right, at one point, right, for Mo. Sure, 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 sure. It was a a point where if you said Monique, don't say that because mm-hmm. I'm Mo. That's mm-hmm. it. I don't want to hear anything about Monique. Mm-hmm. That was part of the grief stage for me. I'm so thankful we got past that and that this has happened because this is a good thing because I really had never heard this part of it. Yeah, I think I was in the moment trying so hard to have Mo seen that it felt like people only wanted to see Monique. And it's like, no, I am here. See Mm -hmm. me. That was so polarizing. And I took the polarized route. I was like, well, Monique just has to go then. Just only (laughs) see Mo (laughs) until y'all can get it. Uh, But that hurt me. So if I could say anything for any transgender person that is going through this process or gender nonconforming, wherever you are on the gender spectrum— Embrace all of who you are. That's authenticity. Every version of you across time Mm -hmm. and across space. And in order to have yourself in the present moment, seeing you don't have to reject other versions of you, you integrate them into who you are. That was a big lesson for me in wanting to be seen as myself. I still had to integrate Monique because Monique is a part of that journey. How else could you see Mo Ari? Uh, Only Monique would have the audacity to give me Mo Ari as a name and use it. Like, as it's like, it's a stage name, as a regular name. Uh, So I love, love, love when I feel that energy still alive inside of me. Because I feel very fond of her. But what you're saying is so important that you had to go through, both of you, right? Sandra had to say, but you were Monique and I loved Monique and I do want to get to know Mo, but this is a thing. And of course, you had to say, I don't know if you're holding on to Monique in any way, shape or form. I don't know that you can really, truly feel Mo. Absolutely. That was a struggle you were each in individually. It was playing out in your relationship. Yeah. I did not want to sit with her grief at all. If I'm being honest. No, right. Uh, Yeah. And I I have since learned that that is not the route I would want to take if I did that again. I know it's really, really hard. I felt it. 
to sit with other people's grief about your identity, but we are in relationship. And because my identity is so tied to my relationship with every other living being, that's for every human, the things that we do in our lives do impact other people. It doesn't mean that it has to, we have to deal with them not accepting us. But I do think if I had this conversation, my mom could have heard me like she's hearing me now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's very hard to bear witness to somebody else's grief about us if we are not fully anchored in our own worthiness. Absolutely. Because oh, her right. grief then, right, all her mm-hmm. grief would have felt like is a mirror to yeah. your own unworthiness. Yep. I mean, it was a tall order, right? That's a very, very tall order for somebody who is going through what you were going. I mean, I like I can imagine holding both of you with profound compassion around that because that is mighty, right? For you to have been able to offer solace in your mom's grief, you couldn't have been where you were in your journey yeah. because you were on a journey. So yeah. by definition, you were not then where you are now because you couldn't be because yeah. it was a journey. A journey. Yeah. Uh-huh. But what do we write? So I think you're offering something really important to folks who are in a process of their own transition around how they might. You're inviting the idea of maybe being able to be a witness to your loved one's grief without having it be a devaluation of you. Because that's exactly what I would want them to do for me. And so I believe in like mirroring that love that I want to see reflected in the world. Yeah. And so if I am going to receive love of the unconditional magnitude, I also want to be unconditional love. I want to be with other people where they are in their journey. I want to accept them unconditionally. It doesn't just go in the direction of marginalized voices, right? And I think sometimes when we are in the identity of any type of marginalized group or oppressed population, it can feel like we are the ones that should have the mic. And it's like a yes and. It's like, (laughs) If we want to create more of that acceptance and celebration, real celebration, not just tolerance, then we also have to be celebratory of where other people are in their journey, sitting with them, empathic. Uh, I could talk about that all day, but that, yeah, Mm -hmm. I clearly am very passionate about this realization that I made. I mean, say within the past year. So it's not like it's an old thing that's ancient inside of me. But But it's there. It's there. And I hear how like rock solid. It is like how clear it feels for you. I think it's truly what it means to be an ally because maybe in a moment you can't be the one who offers empathy to the more privileged person who's struggling, but maybe I could be, or you could be, or you, you know, like somebody else could be right. That that's that once we have something solid enough inside of us that we can then say, okay, I can be right next to you in your grief and in your Mm -hmm. frustration. I can love you in that and through that. Yeah. Because that is transformative. Yes. Yes. Right? That is transformative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm thinking about as we move towards wrapping up, I'm thinking about what do either of you want to offer to other parents, right? To parents who've got a child who's on their journey and who's struggling. What would you want to be whispering in their ear? One of the things I wanted to say that I'm so uh, thankful now that the fact that I'm no longer a part of the problem because of the biased views, but a part of the solution. In order for people to begin to walk in their authentic self, they need people to help them along the journey, to be there beside them. Many times 
we leave people out there by themselves. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say to the listeners, anyone that may be listening, not to leave their child out there mm-hmm. by themselves. Yeah. No one wants to be alone. Mm. There are so many children that have committed suicide. Mm-hmm because they have not been accepted by their loved ones or their friends or their family. And I don't believe, even with my ministerial background, even with being a nurse for over 36 years, I don't believe that God has put us here to abandon anyone. Mm. Our role is to love on people unconditionally. Love on people regardless of their backgrounds, their lifestyles, their gender, Mm -hmm. their race. Mm -hmm. And if we can get past that, our religious beliefs, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we can get past that. Religion has its role. I'm not telling anyone not to hold on to their values. But that has nothing to do with the love that you have for a person. Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with the love, that unconditional love that God calls us all to. Mm-hmm. We have to remember that. And if your child is walking in their truth, they're walking in their authentic self, and that's what they have embraced, that it's important that we embrace them. And love on them through it all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And not to judge them. Not to ostracize children. Everyone. We need to be embraced. We need to be loved. That's right. And a parent struggle. You did a really beautiful job a bit ago talking about, you know, a parent struggle may be because of beliefs they've inherited, their own fears. So the struggle, we can have... You know, I think as a parent struggling, I don't want parents to feel ashamed of the struggle or ashamed of the judgment, but to know that it's your job as the parent to find the resources you need to move through your judgments so that you can see your child. To have the judgments not be the end of the story, but to be the beginning, like, wait a minute, I've got a problem here because I'm struggling to understand and accept and embrace my child. I have a problem here. How can I resource myself How can I turn towards people who can maybe help me process my stuckness in the service of my relationship with my child? Because you're right. None of us wants to be left alone or ostracized, especially by the people that we're in lineage with, our family and our community. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, what would you want to be whispering to to a parent who's struggling or a loved one, a sibling or, you know? That's a great question. I think no matter how old your child is, your family member is, they still just want love, like everyone. Uh, So specifically to parents, and I can speak from the perspective of a kid, Mm -hmm. uh, every age. I mean, I've had clients who transition at 60, still want love and care and adoration and celebration from their parents. That doesn't go away. Uh, So I'll say that that's one part of this. And if I was able to invite parents to do anything, it would be to continue to see 
beyond the external and really into who that person is at their soul level. Names, how we dress, what our bodies look like, they don't really change who we Mm. are beyond the physical. I still feel like the same curious person, the same creative soul, the same person who uh, cries, who laughs, who plays. And if I were to have lost that in my relationship with my mother or if I were to lose the ability to connect with her and for her to see me just as a person that's being, not the external, Mm-hmm. I think it would have been pretty devastating for me. Mm-hmm. I think that is the story for a lot of people I've worked with, that they feel devastated. It is the kind of abandonment that it's hard to recover from. Many people have lost their relationship with their parents, sometimes not even on purpose because that person has passed away. and. We know what that story ends up feeling like for the person who has to now live without that connection. Mm -hmm. So I just invite parents or any loved one to connect with that person soul to soul, to stay in the love space, and to really try to operate from curiosity, relieving the relationship of any expectations, any kinds of set arrangements that came into play a long time ago that need to be updated, it's okay. (laughs) It's kind of like when you're married to someone, what you vowed when you got together 30 years ago, like my parents, has to change when you're empty nesters, when you're going into retirement and money is different. Maybe it's better, but like when (laughs) your kids are gone and you have grandchildren, the contract updates and we all evolve. Mm -hmm. Think about how you were 15 years ago versus how you are now. And if you are a better parent now or back then or whatever the comparison would be, just think about how much you've evolved over time. Mm -hmm. That's kind of all this transition is, is another iteration of self, another evolution of self. And if you can continue to see that person on a soul level as love, as all the things that you saw them being when they came into the world, when they were in that hospital or at that home birthing, however you Mm -hmm. brought your children into the world, uh, that moment, if you can see them as that, then I think you've unlocked the key to unconditional love. Uh, I just think about the moment that my daughter got Mm -hmm. here. And I hold it so close to who I am in our relationship because I know No matter how her external changes or the things that she's interested in or the things that she likes, no matter how much that changes, even if she's, like, upset with me at some point about something, at a soul level, Mm -hmm. she is love. She is all of Mm -hmm. that joy and the splendor of that moment wrapped into one little I don't want to put perfect on her or anybody, (laughs) but I think— Mm-hmm. There's just not anything to to change about any person. There's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with you. There's just an opportunity for more love. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is the through line 
through all the changes. And I, I like this comparison you're making because it is, right, we've been saying that, that a gender transition is a pretty profound transition for a relationship yes. to go through, but it is when our child decides they want to have this career versus that yeah. career, or when our child chooses this partner but not that partner, all the yeah. different, when our child, right, needs to separate, when our child is going through a chapter of anger or a chapter yeah. of addiction. And yeah. unconditional love doesn't necessarily mean you know, boundarylessness or yeah. any tolerating any old kind of thing. There needs to be relational agreements and um, kind of like some relational clarity about how we're going to be with each other. But that unconditional love is, okay, I am witnessing your soul's evolution, which yeah. is not ever promised to be smooth and, you know, Absolutely. linear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What would you say that each of you admires most about the other? Oh admires most or feels most proud of of the other well for me um, what I most admire about Mo is Mo's genuine love for others Mm -hmm. and Mo has a drive for being creative and and just helping uh, the LGBTQ Mm -hmm. community and helping others that are marginalized, that feel marginalized because they're not, mm-hmm. has a love to embrace people in all walks of life. Mm-hmm. And that's what I admire most about Mo. And Mo has demonstrated that love throughout. Mo has always been a loving, mm-hmm. kind, compassionate person. And I've always admired that. Um, <laughs> admired so much about you um, because your courage in the midst of this to be able to stand and say, look, and this is who I am, my authentic self, present to this world, to all people, you know, It has been a journey, Mm -hmm. but it's a good journey. Mm -hmm. And I'm thankful that the Spirit comes across always. When you sense the Spirit, what Mo was talking about, not just looking at your child from the outside and what they're saying, but look at who this person is. This soul that is in front of you, mm-hmm. this person that's presenting in front of you, has presented in front of you that you have embraced and you have loved for so long. That does not change. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm so thankful for Mo mm-hmm. being genuine and being loving and just being someone that is going to helped so many people, has helped Mm -hmm. so many people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. being a counselor and has saved so many lives. Mm -hmm. I know Mm -hmm. that Mo has. So that has made me very proud. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Helping others, that's what this walk is about. It's not just about us. Many people think it's just about what I want. It's what I want to do. It's not just about you. It's about reaching back to those 
after you've walked the journey, mm-hmm. you reach That's out to someone right. else right. and help them to be able to come. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what I see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just receiving that. Mm-hmm. I just appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let that, let that land. Yeah. Hmm. I feel like I learned authenticity watching my both of my parents. Certainly, they both have different narratives. But at the core of both of their narratives, but I'll just talk about my mom, is authenticity. I think being one of nine children in a two-bedroom apartment, <laughs> one of ten children in a two-bedroom apartment or wherever you all grew up before you went moved into a home, and choosing to go to school when other people chose other paths for the circumstances— that was necessary for their journey. But to choose to dream differently, I won't say better, but differently hmm. for yourself and then overcome all of the obstacles in your way because you were 17 going to nursing school with a kid. So your story is very different. You graduated at 17 going to nursing school and still was able to be salutatorian of your high school class and... With a baby on your hip. Hmm. That is, uh, it feels remarkable. I think your authenticity, your ability to say, if I have to be alone, but doing what I feel is right, I'm going to do that. There are so many circumstances and stories I've heard you tell about people asking you or inviting you into terrible situations because of the circumstances you grew up around. And you saying, no, I'm just going to be the one that's not doing it. You got, like, the narrative of goody two-shoes or, like, perfectionism <laughs> or, you know, of course it makes sense you're a reverend now. Uh, sure. but, <laughs> and I imagine at the time as a kid, though, that was painful because it often left you isolated. It often uh-huh. left you alone. It often—and it has impacted your relationship with your siblings, some of which don't talk to you because you wouldn't participate in those situations. Uh-huh. So your authenticity, I think, created— the foundation for me to be able to be who I am, for my siblings to be who they are. And for me, that's at the core of just my love for you. Uh, But I also think love is at the core of who you are. And I really admire that a lot. That I didn't tell the stories I told earlier about coming home to kids at the table eating dinner because you took them in to make you look good. I said Mm -hmm. it because you taught me very early what it's like to be a helper of mankind. And that's what your name means. And so I'm really, really proud of the ways that you're able to love people. Even though you could have stopped at being abused in childhood. You could have stopped at making, like, the news on in Chicago because of the circumstances you went through. Some of that ended up in a newspaper, you know? You could have stopped there and said, people are awful. They're never Mm going to treat me right and just closed your heart to the world. But because you stayed open, you were able to develop this uh, superpower of curiosity and your ability to connect with me as Mo is because of that, because you always stop to question what is loving. You did not have to do that. I feel like I owe you more than I can ever give you. 
I really I can't. <laughs> I appreciate it. I feel like I owe you more than I could give you. Um, and I really, really uh, appreciate and am proud of you for for that. I don't, I don't know if words really capture that, but uh, <laughs> that's how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Hmm. Lord have mercy. Pause <laughs> <laughs> on that one. Uh huh. I um, I suspect that both of you are going to just have to open up your arms that much bigger for all of the people who are going to be reaching for you and letting you know that you both are modeling something that's really powerful and really beautiful and that witness getting the chance to witness it in each of you gives each of us a chance to figure out, okay, how do I want to cultivate that within me? Thank you for saying yes. I thank you for being here with me, with us, and um, and sharing everything that you have shared today. Thank you for thank, having us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This is I really, blessing. yeah, I appreciate you creating this space for us to tell our story. And I'm really hoping that other people, regardless of the situation in their family, other parents, still feel connected to our story, even if they don't have a transgender child that they feel connected to our story and they just connect with us on a human level. Even if there are other iterations of what's happening in their lives, uh, I hope that they feel like Mo and Sandra Mm -hmm. and uh, realize that we also are just human. That's right. Talking about the process of evolving and transitioning. Right. And, uh, you know, I think for some, some people cannot get from their families what you have been able to cultivate within your family and that there are lots of ways to earn security. There's lots of ways to earn, right? That there are often, we know that people in the LGBTQ plus community create families of friends and of allies, right? And that maybe it doesn't ever take the place of having a mom who's able to do what she needs to do to offer what Sandra has been able to offer. But there are other ways to create community where you are seen, Absolutely. In every little iteration of your journey, whatever twists and turns it takes, and that every person on any journey of transformation or transition or growth deserves like those witnessing eyes, yeah, right? Who can absolutely. look at you and just be like, I see you. Yeah. I see you. You're looking good, looking strong. Or yeah. I see you and you are looking like you could use a hug. Yeah. You know, and that we don't. It's beautiful when family can offer that. And it's not the only way. Right? Yeah, Absolutely. I think of it as just as valuable. So I love that you offered that, that fictive kinship or Mm. those uh, alternative families bring a lot of meaning to what family can look like in this day and age, who can be invited in. Families can be made up in all different ways. And so I'm just grateful that you said that because I think as an LGBTQIA plus person, like that community has certainly been a reason why I feel seen in this process. Mm -hmm. So sitting with clients every day going through a similar journey has been a part of my community, Uh, whether that's been a part of the work, whether they're paying me or not to be their therapist, just getting to show up in the same space with someone I share identity with is healing. Yes. Uh, Yes. I'm sure. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Any final, final words, final 
thoughts that you feel complete. Mm -hmm. One of the things I want to say is, you said, I see you. I see you. (laughs) And I love you. Wow. Mm -hmm. Even more. Yeah. It's most important that people say, yeah, I see you. And remember that I love you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Wow. So I suspect that there's going to be some folks who want to connect with you or just kind of keep track of, of where you're, where you're heading. And Mo, I know that people can find both of us on the Mind app that you and I both love so much and are having so much fun growing. But I want to hear from both of you. How can people find you and keep up with you? So the best way to contact me would be, of course, Follow me on the Mind app. Do that right now. Next, you can contact me on Instagram at loveoutproud. Uh, so my handle is loveoutproud. Love that. And then my website is loveistranscendent.com. So loveistranscendent.com. And Sandra Brown, you can contact me uh, through Mo at any point. <laughs> <laughs> you can definitely contact me and I'll be glad to speak to anyone. Thank you. That's really generous. Okay. Thank you both so much. Thank you. As you let Mo and Sandra's story wash over you, I hope that you can reflect on what pieces of their journey speak to you most. I know their journey has inspired me to love deeper, and it reminds me that love is a journey, a journey that can involve both pain and grief right alongside joy and ease. Both Mo and Sandra are incredible teachers when it comes to unconditional love and radical authenticity, and I'm grateful for their generosity and sharing their story here on Reimagining Love. I hope that you will share this episode far and wide so that the world has a chance to learn from them too. Thank you for listening to our show. Our producer is Elizabeth Vogt. Our editors are Mary Chan and Danelle Cloutier of Organized Sound Productions. Our theme music was composed by Slade Warnkin. Reimagining Love is executive produced by me, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Do you have a relationship question that you want answered on the show? Visit reimagininglove.com to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. If you're looking for more love and relationship content, you can find me on Instagram at dr.alexandra.solomon or visit my website, dralexandrasolomon.com, where you'll find my blog as well as the Intimate Relationships 101 e-course based off of the popular class I teach.